This is episode 288 of the Wildlife Photography Podcast. In this episode, travel, photography, and everything in between, a webinar. Hey everybody, my name is Jerry, I'm from WildEye, and two days ago, no, I lie, yesterday, I did a webinar in called Travel, Photography, and Everything in Between. Now, this is one of the very first offerings that um, we at WildEye will be putting online in webinar form, and it was a bit of everything. It was kind of, I looked at travel, photography, processing of your images, and social media, and just some ideas and food for thought in this time we're going into. South Africa's on lockdown now, this is day one, and... It's just a nice thing because so many times photographers would bitch and moan on safari like, I never have time to do this and I never get through my Lightroom. Well, hey, Sarah, now you do, right? So there's a lot of time to get stuck in. So I just pulled the audio of the live webcast that I did yesterday evening. Stay tuned to the WildEye SA Instagram as well as all the guys from WildEye. We're going to be putting out a lot more of these webinars during the next couple of weeks. So um, it's exciting, it's easy, there's value, it's fun, it's engaging and entertainment. So yeah, if you have any questions or if you have any specific topics you would like us to cover in future webinars, also hit us up, send us a direct message. Um, you can get hold of me, Jerry Fennevolt, on all the major uh, platforms or send an email, jerry, G-E-R-R-Y, at wildeye, two words with a dash in between, .co.za, and I would love to hear from you. Anyway, here we go. This is the audio from the webinar from last night. Hope you guys enjoy Hello, everybody. Hey, so um, welcome to the first WildEye webinar. Let me just get this one right here. Um, I hope you guys can hear me, and thank you for joining. Super excited about this whole thing, because in the next couple of weeks, the WildEye team is going to be putting a lot of content out of there, right? We're going to be putting out some content on destinations. We're going to do tutorials. We're going to do more dedicated one-on-one -on -one meetings, and... All of this is something that we've been wanting to do for quite some time, but as with anything, you get these ideas, right? But the execution is quite difficult. It's, um, it's just time. And a lot of the time for us is because we're traveling. Now, as it stands now, as we all know, we're not traveling anywhere soon for the foreseeable future. So we are moving a lot of this digital. We are going online with a lot of stuff. We're focusing on the content. So while the logistics and operations team is managing the business as far as moving bookings for clients and kind of making sure that the future is sorted for that, myself and the team of guides are, we're going to produce content and we're going to produce a lot of content. And these webinars is a part of that. So this is just the first one. We're going to touch a little bit on travel, photography, Lightroom and social media. And just give you some food for thought for these next 21 days. Now in South Africa, for those of you that are there, um, we're going into full lockdown as of midnight tonight. So I was out and about tonight, today. It was absolute chaos, right? It's madness all around. And we're getting ready for 21 days in isolation at home. So we're going to be doing a lot of these things and um, hopefully bring some value to you and engage. That's what we're looking for. So the idea with this one, like I said, is just kind of give you some food for thought on travel photography, Lightroom or processing and social media. And just something to think about for the next 21 days. For those of you internationally, I'm not sure where you're at, how long you've been in quarantine. The world's a crazy place. Now, if you haven't watched yet on my Instagram, I do what's called the isolation diary every evening for the next 21 days. Just sharing some thoughts and ideas on, um, 
on kind of being in isolation at home, right? But this particular episode, let's get into this, into this first webinar. The idea for this, and if you guys want to ask questions anytime, pop it up, and I'll try and answer those for you as we go. Also, I'll say it now, and at the end of this uh, particular broadcast, if you have any questions, or if you want a little bit of an outline of this webinar, I'm happy to email this to you all. So drop me an email, jerry at wildeye.co.za, hit me up on Instagram, and I'll send all of those out for you. But ask questions as we go, and there's just some value for you guys, hopefully to give you some thought. Now, let's start with travel. As it is, I'm not going anywhere at least until the 22nd of May, which is when I'm supposed to be going to Svalbard. That's also in question because of what's happening in the world. Svalbard itself is reassessing access to the archipelago on the 14th of April. But the emails I got today doesn't look like it's going to go there. So, hey, we just do what we can. Yeah. Now, one of the biggest things that we at WildEye have been managing throughout this process is to look at people's bookings that they had with us, right? Whether that be a scheduled departure, like a photo safari, a private guided trip, or a custom tour where we plan it and they just go. We've been trying to move those for people. Now, I think with all of what's happening in the world right now, something that we're losing track of is availability for future travel. I need you to think about this, right? There are people who already have bookings, for example, from September to December this year. There's already bookings. Now, we're moving people from now, March, through July. We're moving those later in the year as well. End of the year is going to be fully, fully, fully booked very soon. Now, some people are going to wake up, and I'm talking South African terms here, two and a half weeks from now, after they've been stuck in their house with the wife and the kids and the dogs and a cat, for 19 days. Then they're gonna start thinking, shit, I need a holiday. Then they're gonna start planning. There's gonna be no availability because there's already bookings. There's bookings from now that's rolling over. It's gonna be very difficult to get accommodation for the foreseeable future once this thing is done. So the biggest thing that I've been discussing with clients on computer here and what my team has been discussing is plan ahead, plan well ahead, right? We are taking bookings into 2022 at this rate because people wanna make sure that once this whole thing blows over and we don't know how long it's going to be, right? That they have something to look forward to. It's a big deal. It's a big, big deal. So for example, we had two India safaris where Trevor and I think Johan was going to host um, India safaris in, 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 sorry, Tiger safaris in India. They both had to cancel because of this COVID-19 thing, but all the guests on those two departures for this year, we've rolled onto 2021 safaris which means our Wild Eyes India Safari for next year is now fully booked. And I don't know if we're going to get more accommodation or availability to add more safaris. See what I'm saying? So what I would suggest, and most of you are going to have some time in the next two, three weeks, wherever you are in the world, start planning well ahead. You need to plan well, well, well ahead for your travels. This is African travel, Svalbard, um, Antarctica, anywhere in the world, you need to start planning well in advance for this thing. Um, just today, so on the Svalbard thing, there's my departure was the 22nd of May. If it doesn't happen, we're still holding thumbs, that it will. But if it doesn't, they're going to try and roll that departure to next year, which means I then have two departures if we find availability. It's a, it's a big deal, guys. If you want to travel, once this COVID-19 thing is behind us, I would suggest you start yesterday. You have the plan, time now. So start 
planning now. I cannot, cannot recommend that highly enough. Now, along with that, I think learning about the destinations, a lot of the time, I'm gonna tell you a quick story here, right? Many, many years ago, I was guiding a Medicare. I was the guy driving the vehicle and that. So I fetched a, a family from the UK uh, at the airstrip. I picked them up, awesome family. Mom, dad, two kids, they took a lodge for themselves. It was a private use villa. And as we drove back from the airstrips, we stopped suddenly because there's a giraffe. The kids lose their minds. Ah, it's a giraffe. So we take a picture of the giraffe and the kids are just in their element, right? And the wife, the woman is sitting and she's looking around, but she's a little bit perturbed. She's like, doesn't look happy. Anyway, just met them. Maybe she had a bad flight. So I move on and I carry on. And we drive a bit up the hill. We find two zebras. We stop. The kids lose their minds. Ah, there's zebra. So we stop and we look at the zebra. And this lady is still just sitting there and she's like looking around, right? Now, this is remember, we're in Medikwe. We're driving from the airstrip to the lodge. Yeah. And she's confused. She's looking around. She's confused. And I said to her, listen, sorry, is everything okay? Natasha actually was her name. Is everything okay? And she looks around in the area. This is the wild, remember? And she says to me, a little bit concerned because how often do the landscapers come through here? Now, this is the wild. Elephants have moved trees over. So initially, I laugh at her. I'm like, what do you mean? She came to a big five game reserve to a high-end luxury lodge. She had no idea where she was going. Now, in the end, she had an amazing safari experience because I was involved and that's what I do. I made an amazing experience for them. But imagine if Natasha had done her homework and read up on the park, the history of the park, the animals you get there, on all of those things, how much deeper and more detailed and intimate her experience would have been. So another story before I get to the point on this, I was in British Columbia two years ago. And one of my clients at the time, Phil Simmons, great guy, awesome friend. And we were photographing black bears as they walked up and down this creek in front of us. And he said to me, because I've done a couple of private guided trips in the past. And he said to me, I'm really struggling to photograph these animals. I don't know how, because he was very African animal heavy in his portfolio photographically. And I said to him, okay, let's think about this. What does a cheetah do when it walks? So cheetahs, when they walk, they'll stop. And I kind of look over the shoulder, very specific movement that they do. And then I said to him, okay, let's look at a hyena and how they walk. And hyenas, they've got the skulking where the back is down and they kind of skulk along. And I said to him, combine those two and that's how a black bear walks. And he's like, bang, got it. He knew what to look for. So now, from a travel point of view, you, where you have all of this time to yourself now in the next while, have the time to go and read up on destinations. Google is your friend, yeah? Go and watch documentaries. I've said to people coming on private guided trips with me, right, you, we, I'm gonna go to take you to Amboseli. And in Amboseli, we're gonna see all the elephants. Literally, all the elephants, it's amazing, right? How can you best photograph that? Yes, you have me there and I'll talk you through it, but go and watch videos of the destination so you know what it looks like. Go and watch videos of the subjects that you're gonna see. Go and view videos of any anomalies, um, rainbows, mountains, skies that have been seen there because it makes you think differently. And when you're there, you can appreciate it more and you can look for it. You know, kind of what are the special things to look for in any given destination? It's a big deal. So read and watch documentaries. Go onto Netflix. I mean, there's some incredible stuff on African wildlife. There's some incredible stuff on polar bears and the Arctic. 
the more you know about a destination before you go there, the more you're going to appreciate it. I promise you this. The, the one example for me, um, the Arctic for me, Svalbard is my, my place. I, if I could choose one destination a year, I will do Svalbard every day of the week, right? The first time I went, I didn't do enough homework. I was overwhelmed by the place. We had incredible sightings, but it was almost too much to take in because it was just so new. Now, flip a couple of years forward. When I went to Borneo for the first time, hosting a trip up there, I did a lot of research. I researched every single destination as deep as I could. The history, the problems they faced, the species you could get there. Photographically, go and Google um, Dynam Valley and don't look at the text, look at the images. Go as deep as you can. Because when you get there, you appreciate your travel experience so much more. Now, when, when, when I do private guided trips in particular, I would send a list to someone and say, cool, fill this in for me. What species do you want to see? What experiences do you want? What photographs do you want to take? Guys, this is important. And the cool thing is now, you have the time. You have the time now with all of the stuff going on. There's a lot of negativity and stuff out in the world right now. Let's not go there. Let's start planning ahead. Go and look at destinations you want to go to. Go and make a list for yourself and say Masai Mara versus the Serengeti and see what they both offer and then decide where you want to go. The most common question we get is, I want to come on a safari. Okay, that's cool. What do you want to see? What are you expecting from the safari? No, I just want to come on safari and see the animals. Okay, John, let's go deeper on this. I need a little bit more because if you just want to see animals, I can send you to one of 15 countries, for example, and one of 200 game reserves. But do you want to focus on the big cats? Do you want to see the big apes? Are you just after gorillas and chimpanzees? Do you want elephants? Do you want things like pangolins? You have to do your homework. Not every safari destination is created equal. Not every safari is created equal. So do your homework, read up, watch documentaries, and then there's this beautiful thing called social media on your phone. Go into Instagram. Let's say you want to go to the Masai Mara and look for the hashtags related to Masai Mara. You're going to find a lot of content coming up from the destination. Some amazing content, some like, uh, not that great. Yeah. But click through on it and you'll very quickly see photographers and just normal travelers who have been to this destination and start talking to them. You've got the time now. Go and send them a direct message and say, hey, Sebastian, I just saw your amazing lion image from the Serengeti. When were you there? Where did you stay? What was it like? That stuff is gonna be valuable to you when you get over this whole COVID-19 thing and we start going to these places again. It is so important. Then, I mean, this is what my guys are doing now. We're producing content on these destinations. So if you want to know about Svalbard, send me a direct message. Let's do a Zoom chat and talk about what to expect photographically, packing-wise. And this is the same for everywhere because people don't still understand. Obviously, it's very obvious. Well, I think if you're going to go to Svalbard or you're going to go to Masai Mara or Mana Pools, you're going to pack differently, right? But the same thing applies on a smaller level. If you're going to go to Mana Pools, which is an African safari destination, and you're going to go to, for example, Singita, in South Africa, um, the Bombo, they both are African wildlife destinations. They both have animals, yeah, and similar animals, 
but your experience is going to be very different. One might be tent-based where you're on foot most of the time, and the other one is luxury lodge with aircon. Your packing will be different. So those things. When you start looking at your traveling, guys, do your homework now. Please research, engage with people on social media. The amount of messages I've had since this shutdown thing started, there's two more, yeah, is incredible because people are online. Go and talk to people about where you want to go to. It's amazing. Go and read. Watch Netflix. Watch documentaries. If you need documentaries to watch, send me an email. I'll send you some ideas. Go and check it out. But it's going to kind of keep you in a positive vibe, I think, kind of thinking of and dreaming of these places where we're going to go to yeah, when this is done. But also, it'll help you figure out if you're deciding, I don't know where to go. It's going to help you decide where to go. And that's what we do. So if we can help, let us know. We'd be happy to work through this with you. And then just to wrap up the travel part of this, plan well in advance. There are going to be, when this thing blows over, and it will, there's going to be a lot of people who are disappointed that they do not find availability as soon as they think they can. There's going to be a lot of people who try and book something. Let's say this whole corona thing and the whole world gets back to normal, let's say by July, August, hopefully. Yeah? People are going to try booking then. Not going to happen because of this overflow effect of everybody moving their things forward. Plan well ahead. You need to plan well, well ahead. Like I said, we're taking things well into 2022 already. We're taking bookings all the way into 2022. So if you want to think that far ahead, don't stop now. Go deep. Go deep. Travel. Now, let's move on to photography here. I had a very interesting discussion with... Um, with Brendan Byrne, who's a client of mine, who's joined me for a couple of um, couple of trips, Svalbard being one of them. And thanks, Brendan. I just saw your question now. I will get back to that in a second. So he is going through the motions now, while he's got the time, of trying to do something with his photography. Now, the reality is everybody wants to do something with their photography. Now, just as a little rabbit hole, for those of you that follow knows I like to go down those. Someone said to me a while ago, I said, I'm going to help one of the CrossFit coaches here locally with their social media. And she said to me, well, don't give them all your secrets. I'm like, I'm happy to give all my secrets away because most people don't want to do the work. Now, most photographers say they want to do something with their photography, right? However... Most people don't want to do the work. They want to just go into Instagram, post a story and says, hey, please buy my print. Boom, there it is. Doesn't work that way. You've got to do the work. So now, during this time, right, learn new techniques. Look at what you can, look at your portfolio, and I'll link this now to Lightroom. Look at your portfolio and see what are you missing. We as photographers, and I'm speaking to you photographer guys out there now, right? As photographers, we are so full of shit. Let's call it what it is. We are so worried about what people think about our work and we want so badly, we so badly want people to like our work. And if I like an image, even if it's a crappy image, I so want to think this is great because the experience was so amazing. We need to get past all of that. So take this time to really look hard and long at your own work and figure out where are your weaknesses. What are you lacking in your photography? Now, from there, you can take one of two roads. You can either decide, cool, okay, I have a pretty decent portfolio. However, I'm lacking quite a bit of, let's call it slow shutter stuff. 
motion blurs, panning, stuff like that. You can then decide for yourself, okay, that's cool. Let me focus on that so I can create a wider portfolio of stuff. Or you can say, you know what, screw all of that stuff. I've got some pretty decent portraits of images of, of animals. Let me double down on that. One of two ways. You can either go super wide, kind of a spray and pray if you want to monetize it, or you can go very narrow, but super deep with your work. That's a decision that you have to make based on where you are with your work, right? The time you have now is if you want to learn those new techniques, you have all the time in the world to research and read and watch tutorials and engage with people like myself and the wildlife team and say, listen, let's do a Zoom chat for 20 minutes and let's talk just about how I can create better motion blur images, right? There's so much time for that. So get stuck in on that. The biggest thing I think that we should be doing, and I know I'm going to do this as well, right? I'm going to do this as well once I get properly into isolation in the next few weeks, is I'm going to sit back, I'm going to open my Lightroom catalog, and I'm going to take a good, long, hard look at my own portfolio. And I'm going to see, right, okay, where am I strong? Where am I weak? And can I clean this thing up? How many of you guys sitting at home right now have a Lightroom catalog and you've got images in there from 2011 that you've already worked through. You've taken the best stuff and you've put it aside, but you still have all of those raw files sitting there, the ones you didn't use. Why? Get rid of it. Done. Just clean it up. Maybe give yourself, and I've, I've told clients in the past, maybe take like two years worth and always have two years worth of raw files and then just keep on rolling that. The moment something's older than two years, you haven't used it because you should have gone through it, let it go. But the looking through portfolio thing now will do one of three things, actually. Number one, it'll make your photographic brain keep on ticking over. Yeah, you'll keep on thinking photographically. It will, because you're spending time in the ecosystem of Lightroom, make you more agile within the program as such. Yeah, BNX, if you haven't got my Lightroom workflow, let me know, I will send it to you. BNX, it takes you from a big number of images down to a few number of images, and that can go straight into a collection. Very easy workflow, but it'll make it easy in there. But also now, and we'll talk about this when we get to social media in a little bit, now is also the time that you should be posting more on social media than you did before this whole thing started. And I'll tell you a little bit why. Okay, It's vitally important. So for you to go and sit in front of your computer and look at Lightroom and look at your portfolio and have a good, honest, hard look at yourself and say, listen, where am I going with this? Do I need more? Am I more attracted to the people portraits? Am I more attracted to the animal in landscapes, to a big screen with a small elephant in the bottom corner here? Yeah? Or do I like the close-ups? Whatever it is, know what it is. Because if you know, and when we get back to going into the field, then you will be able to shoot better because you have a clearer idea of what you want to photograph. This goes very closely with the travel part where you're looking and researching destinations before you get there. If you know and you've seen on a video what an elephant walks like, how the legs lock when it's weight-bearing, yeah, you'll know how to photograph it when you look at it through your viewfinder. So all of those things come together. As wildlife and travel photographers, we have to link the research of the destination to the technicality in the camera to the Lightroom cataloging to select the best images, to the processing of those images, to the sharing and ultimate, hopefully, monetization thereof. You have to link all of those together. 
a lot of people still disconnected. They don't actually understand that it's vitally important. And it comes down, I mean, just as a bit of a sideline, people will, will have their camera bag ready, right? And they can just pick up and go. However, if you're traveling to East Africa and South Africa, you need different equipment. In East Africa, it's a much wider open environment. So you want to zoom in more. You need a longer lens to capture that stuff. In Southern Africa, more often than not, you're pretty close. You're going off-road and you get the leopard right next to the car. So it's a very different ecosystem that you're photographing in. And you need to have and make sure that you have the correct gear for that. I cannot go and photograph gorillas and polar bears with one camera bag. It's just too different. Gorillas 24, 70, 70 to 200. Polar bears, if you're lucky, a 70, 200. Probably more 400 plus. So that's kind of what you need to look at photographically. Research the travel destination to know what it looks like. Photographic research on the back of that to know what gear you need and what techniques you need. Then look at your Lightroom portfolio and see, right, I'm going to photograph gorillas. What do I need from that? Do I need close-ups? Do I need animals' environment? And then go from there. It's a big deal. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised sometimes how people will pay, in some instances, quite obscene amounts of money to go to a destination and they get there and they haven't even Googled the destination or they haven't even Googled how to photograph leopards or lions. We've done blogs, how to photograph gorillas, how to photograph great migration, how to photograph stars. Do the work. And the cool thing is right now, we have the time to do the work. Go and plan. Start from your travel plans. Where do you want to go? Pull it out to your photography. What type of images do I want to create? Let's say you want to go to Uganda for gorillas. Literally, in Google type, Gorillas, Uganda, photography, and look through a thousand images. Have a cup of coffee, right? Have whiskey, and then look through all of those things and see how it goes from there. It's vital, you guys. Vital, vital. Now, when you get to the processing side of it, right? Brenda, I'm going to get to your question. We'll do questions at the end. So if you have any, just keep on throwing them in there, guys. I'll answer those at the end. While you get into Lightroom now, a lot of people sometimes in the weekends, in normal time, they'll say, what are you doing this, this weekend? Now, I'm going to do some light rooming. Okay, what is that? What, what is light rooming? You should be going into your light room with a very specific and dedicated outcome. As in, I want to now go and process this portfolio and I want to create 15 monochromes. Because if you go in it with an idea of where you're going, right, it's going to be much easier to get to the final destination. If I want to go to the store, I know where I want to go. It's easier. If I just going to drive around and hope I find something difficult. Yeah. The time is now learn tutorials, clean up that Lightroom catalog, go back to images that you still have in your, your, your processed collections from three, four, five trips ago. There's new techniques. Look at a new tutorial, go and try those new techniques, right? Go deep on these things. You'll be surprised what comes out of it. Now, after that, and this is an important thing for those of you that are looking to kind of either build a brand for yourself or get your images out there. In the first week of the shutdown for coronavirus in Italy, online sales jumped by 101%. In the first three or four days of the UK shutdown, lockdown, yeah, online activity increased between 60 and 80%. People are spending time on here. People are spending time online, Googling. Instagram, YouTube, you should be posting more content now than you ever have before. 
right now. So you can now, and here's the nice thing. I said this yesterday on one of my videos as well, is look at some of the celebrities and the big accounts and even people like myself, Marlon and the guys, you know us for posting wildlife. In the current ecosystem, if you go on, on Corona, sorry, it's obviously top of mind. You go onto your phone, right? And you go onto Instagram. People are posting very, very different content right now. And the world is accepting it because there are no rules right now, right? You can post literally anything. If you normally only post wildlife, post images of your dog, of your wife, of your sunset outside your room, because people are open to it. People are open to different kinds of content now. So here's the thing. If in the past you were so worried about, is this image good enough to post? Now you don't have to worry about it. But post between three and five times a day. Charlotte, thank you. I see your question. So post between three and five times a day. You can go back to old images. And I know every one of you, every photographer looks at their own work and think, I'm not good enough. This image, this image I want to post. And I've gotten to the stage where I'm like, I've typed the caption and I'm like, uh, no, not good enough. Guys, now is the time to post that stuff. Number one, we need as a society, as a community online, nice visuals. We need good news. So take your old images and post them now. Get them out there. It also helps you and a photographer to clear the backlog. Get that stuff out there. Because if you get it out there, right? If you get it out there, you allow yourself to move on to new stuff. When you shoot, you've done it, right? You have to post more than what you think you should be. The upside of doing that right now is huge. If you, and this is something that we're doing at Wild Eye as well right now. So here it is, is we are not going to try and sell you safaris right now. It's messed up. Why would we? We're not worried about that. You're trying to sell prints, Brendan, someone like yourself. Don't try and sell prints right now because people are not keen on buying stuff. I mean, I was in the shop this morning. People are stockpiling. They're buying 50 bottles of Coke because they just want to keep it. They're not going to spend money on stuff like that. However, when this thing blows over, and it will, and it will, then people are going to start looking. The blinkers are going to open. And if you've been in their content feed all the time and you've been giving them value, and showing them prints that you could be doing or that you are working on, where do you think they're gonna go? The next three to four weeks, I'm talking from a South African perspective, is huge from a branding point of view for you as a wildlife photographer. And wherever you are in the world, look at where you are and kind of where your timeline on this whole thing is. Put content out, brand yourself, put valuable stuff out, use your Instagram stories, use your feed, but post more, post more. Like Charlotte, your question, I'm going to answer that one now. Charlotte asked, you should be uh, posting more content now, but what if it runs out, right? Post old stuff again. Make it a monochrome. If you posted one image as a monochrome, next time do it as a color, right? Then go out into your garden and photograph a macro and post that. Then go down in your feed, all the way down in your Instagram feed, and choose something old and bring that back. If you, go, if, if you go and audit my Instagram feed, you'll see a lot of old stuff that I repost again and again. Go into the back end of your Instagram, Charlotte. Go and look which images have performed best over the last year. Go to them, take them, re-edit them. Maybe they're a little bit better even, and then repost it again with new narrative. It works. There's no rules. There are no rules here. And the idea that right now you can post pretty much anything 
even, and I would urge you guys to do this, take a picture of yourself at home, selfie, I'm in quarantine and post it. Why? Because if you go through, and this is the thing, you go through a wildlife photographer's feed like this, scroll, 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 they all look the same. They all look the same. So you post a face, they suddenly say, ah, that's what Charlotte looks like. She looks cool. Okay, she's human. Let me engage with her. Guys, it works. I promise you it works. So post more. Post more. Grant, I see your question. Um, we will check that out now. Thank you. It's a photography question. Now, the biggest two things that people are not doing right now, I think online, is listening and engaging. You have all the time in the world. You're going to work from home, but you're going to have some time on your hands. I promise you that. Go and listen, i.e. read. Go and see what people that you are wanting to talk to are talking about. In my, my example, I want to speak to people who want to travel and go to natural places and beautiful places around the world. Twitter is amazing for listening. What are people talking about? Are they scared of the coronavirus? Do they want to travel? Don't they want to travel? Where do they want to go? What are they thinking about? That helps me to decide what kind of content to put out and I can go engage with them, right? Go engage. Let's say, for example, you are keen to sell prints. Brendan, I'm going to use you again because I see your name here, um, of polar bears. Go into Instagram. In the search function, type polar bears, right? There's two. There's top post and recent. Go to recent. You then go and you leave a comment on every one of the top 30 posts in the recent thing. Hey, Jerry, great post. When were you here? That's amazing. And then you keep on going down and down because you're engaging with people. They will come and answer you. And more than likely, they'll come and look at your feed, which means you get eyeballs. You cannot sell someone a print, Brendan, if you don't have someone's eyeballs. That's what the game is. The next three weeks is about getting eyeballs and building trust and getting someone's emotional equity so that when the time is right, you can ask for something else. That happens now. That happens now. So engagement is a big deal. I think a lot of people are not engaging. They're not getting in there. They're just scrolling, double tap, scroll, double tap, like. There's so much more. There is so much more we can be doing right now, guys. If you, depending on how big or small you want to look at this, go and look at the wild eye feed and go and look at the feeds of all the wild eye guys. We have an idea of just putting out value as much as we can. But look, if you can, it's going to be interesting how this changes over the next two or three weeks as we go deeper into this isolation phase where we all are stuck at home all the way to when we start coming out of it. There's a mood online and you and I, when you post online, we have to echo that and give people something to look forward to. It's very interesting. Right. I'm going to just get some, to some questions here. Brendan asked, polar bears in the Canadian Arctic. Thoughts. Now, I'm a Svalbard fan. I love Svalbard. It's natural. It's pure, it's wild, it's harsh. Have not been to Canadian Arctic, like Churchill and that. Clients of mine that have been to both have said that Svalbard feels more natural. With the Canadian Arctic, you do see polar bears and you see a lot of them, but it's on a tundra buggy. So you've got those, those cars with the very big wheels and these things kind of stand up and then against this, uh, it bugs me to see that, hey? But the, from a portfolio point of view, yes, you're gonna get different types of polar bear shots. They're on tundra. A lot of them are quite dirty because they're waiting on the tundra for the ice to pull in. So you've got some vegetation, you've got some mud on them. As an experience and to get polar bear shots, I'm sure it's cool. If you want to remain, and maybe this is, I'm, I'm maybe a purist here, but 
I will always lean towards the most natural and pure form of the species. Now, Brendan, you've been to, 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 to Svalbard with me. And being in those mountains with the pristine snow, polar bear on snow, there's nothing else around, is magnificent. There's nothing wrong with the Canadian Arctic. And I'm sure there's some amazing experiences, some amazing images to get, right? But I would always go for the pure, personally. So, haven't been personally. That's kind of just what I've gathered from the industry and from Get as well. Uh, Charlotte asked about posting more content, but what if you run out? We've spoken about that a little bit. Grant asks, any workflow at an image level? How do you go about deciding? Look for key features, lighting, contrast, crop. I know it's probably image specific, but how do you see it? Is there a methodology or filter? Grant, it's an amazing question. And we are going to be running some Lightroom tutorials and stuff over the next few weeks as well. There's two things. So for me, if I'm looking kind of which image to edit, let's say I've got two or three of the same. Lion yawning, bum, 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 right? There's two. I'll put them on full screen and I'll literally just keep on arrowing through. One, two, three. One, two, three, all the time. You kind of disconnect your brain and you just look at these images. At some stage, one will pop out and, and it jump out at you right? And you think, okay, that's the one. Sometimes it's, it's almost like the whole is bigger than the sum of all the parts. It's something in there. I've also done it where there's a bunch of, and you just really go click, 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 stop, wait. And some, there's something, there's a little bit of an X factor that catches your eye. It is very, like you say, Grant, it's very image specific, but one of the tutorials I can do now, and we're going to custom the tutorials based on what you guys want to see. And one of those is particularly how to choose an image because I think no I don't think I know a lot of wildlife photographers out there right they have amazing gear they have an amazing eye they have all the technicality and some of the creativity and they're creating amazing images but lots of them and then they put them into the Lightroom where a lot and a huge majority of people fall flat is in choosing the right image to process and to share or to print or to sell. That's a big deal. So I think granted somewhere in there, but seeing it, I think is an experience thing. Kind of the more you do it, like the short answer is how do you become a better wildlife photographer or how do you get better images? Spend more time in the field, spend more time in front of your Lightroom, spend more time speaking to myself or the guys so that you can help you to kind of develop that eye. But it's a, it's an interesting discussion and one we'll pick up on a future podcast. Uh, sorry. Well, podcast as well. But um, in one of the future webinars and tutorials we'll be loading up. Great question. Um, Alyssa asks, I often have a feeling when we post nice pictures of beautiful places, people don't necessarily associate you with a person selling images, even if you do. Just my thoughts. I'm going to just read it again. I often have a feeling when we post nice pictures of beautiful places, people don't necessarily associate, it, associate you with a person selling images, even if you do. Just my thoughts. This is true, Right. I think the problem is that the world of wildlife photography is so saturated and every second person has in their biography on Instagram, contact me for prints. Okay. It's flat. I still believe that if you want to sell prints, you need to market yourself. I can sell prints. I can sell to people, buy my prints because people believe me. I've put out a lot of content in the past that they believe me and therefore they want to buy my print. You just put out beautiful images expecting them to think you're someone who sells prints, but the market is so saturated. It's a really tough one. It's a really tough one, but um, interesting discussion. I've got actually something similar vein lined up for a podcast in the next few days. Well, next few weeks. So but I love the question. Really, really good. Um, Charlotte asks, when is a photo too edited? 
Very easy answer. When someone can see what you've done to it. One of the, my pet hates is if you scroll through Instagram and there's a close-up picture of a leopard or a lion or a predator, right? And you load this thing up and it looks like the cat has swallowed plutonium because the eyes are so bright and orange that I can see you put a brush on the eye, boom, and you lifted the saturation and you lifted the brightness. So when it comes to editing, less is always more. If I can see that you added a vignette, you failed. If I can see the saturation in the red channel is just a little bit unnatural, you failed. So for me, Charlotte, if I can see what you've done, you failed. Then, then to me, it's too edited. It needs to be still natural. We're talking in the realm of pure wildlife documentary photography. If you're going for art or some different look and feel, that's cool. But if you're talking straight up wildlife photography, if I can see what you've done to the image, if someone can look at it and think, even if it's someone who's not photographic literate, and they look at it and they're going to think, mm, this is nice, but there's something that bothers me a bit, you fail. To me, that's as simple as that. That's why, and I'll give you this guy, this one now as a, as a thing. In Lightroom, when you get to presence, so texture, clarity, structure, vibration, uh, vibration, vibrance, and saturation, right? People will take that slider and they'll slowly take it up and they stop. How do you know the magic wasn't just that little bit further? That's why I would suggest if you've watched some of my tutorials, take those sliders, vibrance and saturation, whack them all the way to the max and you think, whoa, that looks horrible and then slowly back it up and you think, stop, there it is. Because then you've worked deductively and you know that all the bad stuff you've left behind, now it looks good. That works very well for me. Um, if you look at the WildEye YouTube, there are some uh, videos there in which I discuss that as well. But great, great, great question. I like that. Um, what have we got here? So Alyssa asked, what turns an image from a keeper to a hero shot for you, if it makes sense? So I think all hero shots are keepers, but not all keepers are hero shots. You as a photographer, right? You cannot expect to be photographing hero shot after hero shot after hero shot. The people who you love and admire online, you look at their work, right? And they only sharing the top 5%. You think all they do is hero shots. You should, and my suggestion on this, Alyssa, is if you go and you look at a trip, let's say you go to Mala Mala, right? You come with me to Mala Mala for a private guided trip. We go there, you should be focusing on documenting day by day, drive by drive. And on every one of those, get images that are not, not heroes, just keepers. And work through that and keep looking at that, right? You're going to end up with, for example, on a trip of five days, maybe with 150, 200 keepers. This is just good, solid wildlife photography. Once you've done that, you can then go and say, right, out of these keepers, which are my heroes? Then you're going to end up with some keepers and some heroes. If you are looking for just hero shots all the time, you're going to walk away with maybe three or four great shots with nothing else. And that sounds very like, oh, wow, I'm like a hardcore wildlife photographer. And if I get 12 a year, that's great. Let's be real here. We spend money to go to these places. You should be getting more than 12 shots a year. Yes, you need those hero shots, but document first. Get the good keepers. Get a bolt, a big body of work. It's going to make you a better photographer, right? But eventually you can then pull the keepers out of that. Sorry, the hero shots out of that if that makes sense. Okay, uh, where were we? That's a great question. Shazman asks, hey Shazman, should we think about posting timings? It's always great to have your photos seen. How best do you go about it? Okay, 
So in the past, you could get these apps, right, on Instagram that says, if you're in a post, you need to post Tuesday 9 o'clock or Wednesday 3 o'clock because then most people will see it. You know what? I think if you're going to go that route, you are starting to play a game which you're never going to win. I said this on one of my diary videos the last week. I've sat with three people and we, we went, okay, post an image, one, two, three, go, together. Boom. The one guy, I only saw his image on my feed three days later because the algorithm feeds people on Instagram what they want to see. If I, I've got Boston Terriers, Rocky and Ziggy are here somewhere, right? I like Boston Terriers. So I've got quite a few Boston Terrier feeds that I follow. So if I'm in one week, if I'm engaging with most Boston Terrier topics, Instagram is going to feed me more of what they think I want to see. Why? Because then I'm going to stay on there and they can get ads spent against me. So if you think that the timing is important, I think you're going to lose. I think right now, Shazmin, you should be posting three to five images a day throughout this lockdown period. Forget about the algorithm. Forget about the timings. Just keep on putting good stuff out there and engaging with people. Let the algorithm do what it does. Just post. Just post. If we're going to go too deep on technicality, when should we be posting and how does the algorithm work? And you're going to get lost. For yourself, make it easy. Morning, afternoon, evening. Post and let the chips fall where they may. But one important thing is go and answer every single comment on every single image always. Because that makes Instagram see that you actually care about your followers and it will show your stuff to more people because you're someone who keeps people engaged. Make sense? Yeah. So forget about the timing thing for now, Shazmin. Just post regularly, three to five a day. Get it out there. UB says, can we expect more tutorials from you in the near future? Something that's more organized in nature. Um, there's a big change coming for Wild Eyes. So in the past, the tutorials that we've been doing is kind of, okay, other half an hour, let me put something out, right? When the, this isolation lockdown things end in South Africa, in, I think it's on the 16th of April, I have a new position starting at Wild Eye. It's a content creator and community manager, right? My sister, who has been working for Eyewitness News, audiovisual um, manager, she's starting and she's going to be working with me. We're going to be putting out an obscene amount of great new content, new tutorials, new videos, a weekly kind of television show from the Wild Eye office. There's ridiculous things coming. So UV, yes. We are going to be doing kind of online tutorials and webinars structured, part one, part two, part three of a course. All of those things are coming once we get back to the office after this whole thing. So yes, it is definitely coming. Um, Charlotte asks, how do you know when you have found your field or best way of taking photos? Example, close-ups or portraits or landscapes? What speaks to you? I think it's simple as that is you can do it retrospectively. So you can go into your Lightroom and into your final processed images, right? right? And you can go and sit and look at this and just go through and see what do you have most of. That's a pretty clear indication. If you've got one or two landscapes and a shit ton of portraits of animals, you kind of know where your eye goes to. Another example that you can try in the field, Charlotte, when you go out again, is something like a 100 to 400 or an 80 to 400 lens. You get to a lion. You start and you zoom into 100 or sorry, to 400. Picture, 300 picture, 200 picture, 100 picture. Go in, turn to landscape orientation from to portrait. Do the same, 400, 300, 200, 100. What that will do is going to give you a very diverse range of images from a sighting. When you get to Lightroom then, right, it's all part of the process, look and see which of those images speaks most to you. Are it the close ones or are they the ones that are more pulled back? 
it's a process. And I think that awareness level is very interesting for photographers. But, but look at what you have. And also, I've, I've in the past on private trips, people will pick up their camera when we get into a sighting. And it's, I asked them, okay, listen, John, what are you photographing? And he says, the lion. No, 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 no. I didn't ask what the subject is. I said, what are you photographing? What was the reason you picked up your camera? Was it the light in the mane? Was it the way the eyes was looking up? Was it the green behind the tawny color of the lion? Those things. If you can start recognizing that, the reason that you want to pick up your camera, that's what you should be shooting. Good advice, I think. Um, right. Brendan has another question. He says, where are we? What do you think makes a good engaging caption in Instagram? Value. Some people would say the first Lord of the Rings movie is too long. It's three hour and a half hours. I could have watched another three and a half hours. Long captions have been shown to keep people on your feed longer because they have to read more. If you write crap, they're not going to read it. However, you could have something, um, something like a beautiful sunset over the Mara and write something like, all dreams are welcome here. That's actually good. You can use that, right? Anything that engages and tells a real story. I would mix it up. Sometimes I want super deep caption. Fill up your 2,000 characters. Other times, punchline. Mix it up. But people often ask the same thing. Is how long, when is a video too long for online? Brendan, you can't decide. Your audience will decide. Just make sure it's quality. Don't waffle, but sometimes go deep on the caption and really either go emotional or go super factual, but make people want to read more. Sometimes one word can do it. A beautiful picture of a lion in the Mara and you just say, scar. You get what I'm saying? All right. Um, Charlotte asked in, how do you know if it's a hero shot? I think it's those ones that kind of speak to you, but it's also depending on what it's for. Is it a hero shot for a print on a wall or is it a hero shot for Instagram? Because those two are ridiculously different. So I think if you know what your end game is and the reason why you do photography, it's going to be easier to break that down. But a hero shot is just the one which you keep on going back to. Like, you just know you've got that shot from 2015 in Amboseli when the two elephants were fighting. I'm talking about myself. Those are hero shots because I cannot get them out of my mind. I think it's different for everybody. I think your audience will decide that for you as well. But I think it's important that you know why and where you can put the images to decide. Great question. Great question. Alyssa asked, Jerry, when do you believe the texture slider in Lightroom should be used? What effect or uh, feel does it get? So the clarity slider adds contrast, darker contrast around the edges. Texture does the same thing on a finer scale, but to highlights. One of my clients, Dennis and I in Svalbard, we sat, because the, the texture slider came out just before that. We sat in the lounge in Svalbard and we tried that texture slider on almost every single image. You, well, put it this way. I think maybe one out of 25 images didn't benefit from it. It's an amazing slider. Um, so it adds contrast on a highlights level around the edges of an image. Really, really good. The only time I wouldn't kind of use it maybe is for spotlight type photography. But other than that, it's, um, it's a very nice addition to the, to the Lightroom sliders. Really, really good. Uh, Man Deep Mystery. Hey, Jerry, we loved reading Marlon's blog on male client coalitions. Do we expect more content in this domain like animal behavior? 100% yes. So, um, have I got it here? 
some, I didn't print it. What I have is every Monday during this whole time, I'm meeting with the guides from Wild Eye on a Zoom meeting and we discuss content for the week. One of them is animal behavior. We're gonna get a lot of blogs on animal behavior. One, for example, is um, Danquist. Andrew Danquist is doing one on the elephants of monarch pools and why they stand up on their back legs. So yes, a lot more content like that coming up. It was a really nice blog that as well. Uh, Shazman, do you think we should try into competitions? 100% yes. Now, I don't do it because it's not my game and I would rather you enter and win than I do it, uh, specifically on a trip with me. But the reason I think entering is good, don't enter because you think you're gonna win. And if you don't place, don't get hard down on yourself. Entering a competition means you look at your own work, you judge it harshly, you select the best that you have at that moment, and you say to the world, this is what I currently have. It allows you as an artist, as a creative, as a photographer, to move on. So yes, I think photography competitions are good, but do not get stuck up if you don't place. Remember, even with the Natural History Museum, the wildlife photographer of the, of the, of the year competition, there are nine, 10 judges who choose one winning image out of 50,000. You might not like any of their work, but they are the judges. But I think the process of, of looking at your work and judging your work and putting it out there, that's the win. I really do. So yes, I would do it. Um, Grace asked, hey Grace, have you tried the Topaz software? I'm hearing great things, especially the denoise. I have played with in the past, not the latest versions, but the denoise on that was really, really good. Um, the, it, it might be worth a look now. I think also Nick Software's, what is theirs called? Um, I know this, I'm blank now, but their de denoising thing is also ridiculous. But Topaz, I have heard good things about, haven't worked with it all that much just yet. Right, last one here, Charlotte, what's one thing you wish you knew when you started? <laughs> really good question. I think maybe, I mean, when I started photography, and I think most people are like this, I wish I knew that people don't actually give a shit. Let me explain. When I started, I was so worried about what people think that I was almost running my photography and my social according to them. At the end of the day, some guy who's gonna leave a snotty comment that says, oh, Jerry, your leopard is not in the center, it's off skew, whatever. I worried about that. That person who left the comment, he left the comment and left. He didn't give a shit. He just took two seconds and moved on. So I wish I knew back then that people don't really care when they do stuff like that. And that I didn't have to worry about their opinions. I think that would have been a big deal for me back then. Now it is, I don't care. I can do my own thing. But as a beginning photographer, we do listen to the voices out there, I think too much, and it can be difficult to get around. So don't, just don't. Um, okay, I'll take one more. Shazmin asks, other than Nick Filter, do you suggest anything else to create and edit? For me, Lightroom into Photoshop, into Nick into Photoshop, beautiful workflow. So Shazmin, I've got your email about the future um, Photoshop tutorials. Those will come up in the next week or so. We're just going into lockdown tomorrow. So it's been crazy times. Weekend and then from Monday, we've got more of those coming out. Guys, I think that's about a wrap. We've gone a little bit over time. Thank you so much for joining. So what's going to happen? If you want, just kind of as a little summary of what I spoke about here, please email me, Jerry, G-E-R-R-Y at wildeye. That's wildeye, two words with a dash in between, .co.za, and I'll send that off to you during the next week. Also, please keep a lookout on the wildeye Instagram, wildeye essay, one word. We're going to be doing more webinars, some destination-based. 
Andrew next week, Dan Quirt is doing one on Thursday next week. We'll load that soon on camping experiences versus luxury lot experiences and what you can expect. One isn't better than the other. It comes back to the travel we spoke about, but um, it gives you some nice food for thought. Also, if you have specific tutorials or discussions like this that you would want to see from us, please let me know as well and we will do those for you. Guys, as always, on the podcast, on the videos, on Instagram, thank you so very much for your time. Thank you for joining me. Good luck wherever you are. Stay safe and I will chat to you guys in the next webinar, the next podcast, the next Instagram live or the next video. My name is Jerry. I'm from WildEye. I'll chat to you guys in the next webinar. Have a good one. Thank you. Bye-bye.